0: Good afternoon, I'm Shelby Herbert. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, February 1st. Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy says he's going to pursue legal action against the Environmental Protection Agency's veto of the pebble mine. On talk of Alaska yesterday, he called the EPA's final determination a political decision.
1: It's on state land. We traded land for this particular um, mineral find. We, um the whole premise of Alaska as a going concern, as an entity, as a sovereign, is that we were to develop our resources. That's the irony of this whole thing.
0: The EPA has vetoed mining at the pebble deposit in Southwest Alaska. It exercised a rarely used power under the Clean Water Act to ban and restrict the discharge of mining materials in waters around the site. It says doing so will help protect the most productive wild salmon ecosystem in the world. Some Bristol Bay tribes started petitioning the EPA to use that veto authority in 2010, and the process has flip-flopped between three presidential administrations. Dunleavy has been one of the most vocal opponents of the EPA's actions at the Pebble deposit. Opponents of the mine are celebrating the decision, and Dunleavy says he understands that some people don't like the Pebble Project.
1: But um, as governor, my job is to make sure that we uh, take advantage of every opportunity. I believe we have the best environmental standards in the world, and um, I, I I think it's a sad day for Alaska and for the country.
0: The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers denied Pebble a federal permit in 2020, but the company appealed that decision. EPA officials said in a news conference on Monday that this ban is specific to the Pebble deposit and does not apply to any other projects in the state. But Don called the EPA's action a dangerous precedent. He also said it was one in a series of projects that could have provided jobs in Alaska, but were struck down.
1: The irony of a lot of these uh, projects that are trying to be uh, shut down is that they're located in some of the poorest areas of our state. Now, what's the answer for some of those folks that want to develop their resources whether it's Kakanak, whether it's out of Pedro Bay, Iliamna, what's the the alternative for them? Uh, uh, A check from the government?
0: Opponents of the mine say it would threaten the region's ecosystem as well as the Alaska native cultures that rely on traditional subsistence resources like salmon, Alaska's congressional delegation had mixed responses to the announcement. Senator Dan Sullivan said that while he opposed Pebble, the EPA's action could set a precedent for development on state lands. Senator Lisa Murkowski reiterated her opposition to the mine but said she supports mining in the state and that the Biden administration has a responsibility to support other projects. Meanwhile, Representative Mary Peltola supports the EPA's use of its veto authority at the site. The Bureau of Land Management is inclined to allow Coconut Phillips to develop Willow, the company's proposal for oil drilling on federal land in the Arctic near the village of Nuiqsut. The agency suggested trimming the proposal to 219 wells, some 32 fewer fewer than the company asked for. Their recommendations are in a planning document called a Final Supplemental Environmental Impact Statement that the BLM announced today. The BLM. The BLM's parent agency, the Department of Interior, now has 30 days to issue a decision. Interior issued a statement this morning suggesting it could still block Willow. The statement says Interior has substantial concerns, even with the limits BLM proposes. The concerns include greenhouse gas emissions and impacts to wildlife and Alaska native subsistence. Alaska's congressional delegation, the governor, and many North Slope leaders support Willow, saying it will bring needed jobs and revenue. Environmental groups are calling the project a climate bomb. The city and tribe of Newixit also oppose the development. The bag limit for sport harvest of deer in Unit 4 in southeast Alaska will remain at 6, one of the most liberal in the state. During its Ketchikan meeting over the weekend, the Board of Game unanimously voted down a proposal that would have reduced the bag limit to four deer, saying it saw no biological necessity for lowering the harvest. Advocates of the change, however, urged that given so much ecological uncertainty recently, erring on the side of caution was the more prudent course. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka. Sitka.
2: Things have been pretty good for deer hunters in Unit 4 for at least the past decade as deer populations have rebounded to near-carrying capacity for the three major islands comprising the unit, Admiralty, Baranoff, and Chichikov, which are often called the ABC Islands. This is a change from 2006 through 2008 when harsh winters with especially high snowfalls dramatically affected deer populations. Fishing game beach surveys in the spring of 2007 recorded roughly four winter kill deer carcasses per mile of shoreline, and the ABC Islands have many miles of shoreline. Kevin Meyer, who proposed the bag limit reduction, was aware of this history as well as where things stand now. If anything, his proposal was an effort to nudge the Board of Game to think more broadly about changes happening in the ecosystem and to manage Southeast Alaska's now abundant deer population with caution. We're facing incredibly uncertain climate and economic futures, and we owe it to our children and future Alaskans to make conservative decisions. Although I've spent most of the last 20 years in the Southeast, I grew up in Washington state, where I watched dramatic fisheries declines happen in my lifetime. I'm in Alaska in no small, no small part because of abundant fishing opportunity and I'm hopeful you make decisions that help us avoid the disastrous fate of uh, much of our hunting and fishing opportunity in the lower 48. Meyer sits on the Juno Fish and Game Advisory Committee but offered the proposal as an individual. He told the board that he personally would be unaffected by the bag limit reduction since he didn't have a large enough boat to hunt in the ABC Islands. In fact, he said his position on his own proposal was neutral. Unit 4 area management biologist Steve Bethune suggested that many more hunters would also be neutral as a very small percentage ever filled all six tags after the bag limit was raised from 4 to 6 in 2019. We found that between 2019 and 2021, under this new bag limit, we had an average of 30 non-federally qualified hunters who took five deer and 29 non-federally qualified hunters who took six deer and this averages out to about 88 additional year deer per year it's about one to one and a half percent of the
3: annual harvest
2: non-federally qualified hunter is government speak for sport hunter or in the case of unit four hunters from juno every other community on admiralty Baranoff and chichikoff islands is a federally qualified subsistence community Hunters in these towns, including Huna, Angoon, and even Sitka, have always been able to take six deer and also have an extra month of hunting in January on federal lands. So, in a nutshell, 97% of sport hunters are taking four deer or less in Unit 4. Why not make that the bag limit? Possibly because it sends the wrong message to the federal government. This is biologist Steve Bethune again.
3: The four deer bag limit is adequate
2: for most non-federally qualified hunters. However, six deer is sustainable and provides an additional opportunity. So it's gonna be fully up to you all on the board of game to decide if you wanna make changes on the state side try to influence the federal subsistence board the federal subsistence board meets at the end of the month in anchorage and will weigh in on several proposals about deer hunting on the abc islands most notably a proposal that would close several major drainages on admiralty island to sport hunting during the month of november the peak deer hunting season in order to provide more access for subsistence hunters In a relationship that is murky at best, the Federal Subsistence Board relies heavily on research from the State Department of Fish and Game, but sets policy based on different priorities. Often, federal and state regulations overlap, but there is always a possibility that they could conflict. Paul Johnson, a well-known hunting guide based out of Chichagoff Island, also put in a proposal to cut back the Unit 4 bag limit for deer, but withdrew it when it became clear that the board of game was not going to support Meyer's proposal. Unlike Meyer, Johnson did have a horse in the race with a four-decade career in guiding on the ABC Islands. The board kept Johnson at the testimony table for a few minutes just to hear his opinion on the issue. Johnson didn't disagree with state biologist Steve Bethune. He didn't sense any urgency to lower the bag limit, but he felt the four-deer limit was probably more cautious.
1: I always felt the four-deer limit held the test of time. Times have changed. The department has got different concepts of what's happening around. Um, I uh, don't want to interfere. It's above my level. But I can say that Steve's right. It's the winners, you know, that play the biggest role.
2: Nevertheless, the state board of game unanimously voted down the proposal to reduce the sport bag limit for deer on Admiralty, Baranoff, and Chichikov Islands. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: From the midnight sun run to the famed Iditarod, Alaska sets the stage for some of the world's most unique endurance sports. But the state's extreme weather makes it difficult to chart the course for one of America's most popular races, the triathlon. Scott Burt is the aquatic supervisor at Petersburg Parks and Recreation. He's planning a winter triathlon indoors so that the show can go on even when Alaska happens. And that's because he thinks it's important for Alaskans to stay active in the winter.
3: And, of course, I'm not a physician, but, you know, there are conditions out there like seasonal affective disorder. Lack of sunlight can negatively affect people in various ways. And so one of the ways, I think, to counter that, at least for me personally, is just to stay active. When it gets dark outside, when it gets cold, it's easy to kind of shut down. And when you shut down, you might even isolate yourself socially as well. So I think there's a lot of, of value to doing activities
0: like this with others. But these wintry conditions aren't ideal for staging triathlons. Ironman Alaska canceled its 2023 Juno triathlon. The race was discontinued only a year after its arrivals. Organizers withheld their reasons for suspending the race, but Anchorage Daily News reported that participants and volunteers named Southeast Alaska's severe weather as a likely culprit. So Petersburg's winter triathlon will be held indoors. Bert says it's not safe to organize the race on frozen terrain and adding bikes to the equation could spell disaster.
3: Of course, people who live here, you know, we get accustomed to the cold and the wet. That isn't as much of a concern as is the conditions of the road, especially for the bike. Um, There's a lot of sand, a lot of gravel out there. Um, If it's cold enough, the roads can be slick and we don't want to risk any injury at all. So a more controlled environment indoors is is a, a bit more safe and hopefully it will encourage more people to participate.
0: Unlike regular triathlons, Burt's Indoor Triathlon has no finish line. There's no upper limit to how far participants can run, bike, and swim. It's all about how many miles they can rack up in a set amount of time. A classic outdoor triathlon includes a 500-yard Swim, a 20 mile bike ride and a 10k run. But Bert says Petersburg's race will have set times instead of distances.
3: We'll get them in the pool and the challenge will be how far can you go in 10 minutes? And then they get out and they change, they get into some dry clothes and go hop on the bike and then how far can you bike in 20 minutes? And then when 20 minutes is up, we stop. We measure their distance, you know, and the same on the treadmill. So at the end of the race, we simply tally up who went the farthest in the same amount of time. So it's a bit of a twist on the classic triathlon.
0: Bert says this is a way to celebrate another uniquely Alaskan test of endurance, surviving another winter. He invites anyone and everyone to participate. The triathlon is scheduled for February 11th at 1 p.m. at the Parks and Recreation Center. The event is free, but participants are encouraged to register early. The Federal Subsistence Board will take up a proposal this week to designate Ketchikan as a rural area under federal subsistence laws. The move would open up federal subsistence subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents. Ketchikan and Juneau are the only two southeast communities designated as urban. The Southeast Alaska Subsistence Regional Advisory Council voted to move forward with the proposal at its meeting in October. That was after hours of public testimony and a push by Ketchikan Indian community, the local tribe. The council found that Ketchikan met all of the requirements to be considered for a rural designation. If the federal subsistence board agrees, a vote this week would start a years-long dive into the prospect of changing Ketchikan's status. Federal officials with the Office of Subsistence Management are recommending the board approve the proposal. If Ketchikan was to be redesignated, both native and non-native hunters would become federally qualified subsistence users. Wildlife officials also would be required to prioritize their needs over commercial and sport users. The board's meeting started yesterday at 1 p.m. in Anchorage and will run through February 3rd. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.